Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. You can learn more at fredericksdachurch.org. Now here's Robert Quintana with this week's message, part three of I Shall Bow. Uh, do you remember a few years ago that little bracelet that was so popular, uh, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Do you know that Jesus read from the book of Isaiah? He did. Jesus himself read from the book of Isaiah. I'd like for you to turn. I'll show you here in Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 14. I'm reading from the New King James Version today. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus read from the book of Isaiah. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And it says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out throughout the surrounding regions. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Uh, maybe, I don't know if, if they planned this ahead of time, but he had scripture reading for that day. That was his appointed task for worship that day. He had scripture reading. And so it says in verse 17, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now keep in mind that when the Bible says the book, it wasn't a book like we know a book. It, it was more like a scroll. And so you could say that he was handed the scroll of Isaiah. And it says here, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And this kind of indicates that he searched for this particular passage in Isaiah, which we can conclude that it seems like he had already read from the book of Isaiah and now was turning to this portion of Isaiah again. And this is what he read Here in verse 18 from the book of Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, that there being Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And Jesus, in front of everyone there at church, read from Isaiah, what we know now, chapter 61, um, 1 and 2. What a powerful message. I mean, what, what a powerful message Jesus is giving to the people who are listening to him there. In verse 20, Listen to how powerful this was. Everyone was awestruck. It says here, then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant. And it says here that he sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. You know, the, the person next in, in the line up there in the bulletin didn't just get up and start reading or start singing or start praying. No, no, no. What he read, everyone was so captivated by what he had just finished reading that everyone there was captivated. And the Bible says that all eyes were fixed on him. A little awkward, maybe. 
Can you think it? Just picture yourself being there. It's all quiet and he just finished reading this. I don't know what kind of inflection he used. I don't know how he read it, but he read it in such a way where everyone there was just awestruck by what he said and their eyes were fixed on Jesus. And as he looks around and everyone's eyes are fixed on him, he takes an opportunity here and he says to them in verse 21, And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. In the book of Isaiah, a prophetic message that is now being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is why I want you to read the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah paints this amazing picture of the life of Christ and the purpose of Christ. And this isn't the only time in Isaiah where you kind of get this picture, where you get a glimpse of who Christ is and, and his purpose and what he has come to accomplish for us on our behalf. The book of Isaiah is full of these prophetic visions. This is why the book of Isaiah is so popular in the New Testament. As the New Testament believers, as the New Testament writers were looking at the life and the purpose and everything that Jesus Christ had accomplished, they were reminded of the words in Isaiah and they kept on saying, this is a fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah spoke about centuries ago. And so they would quote the book of Isaiah. I'm telling you, it's not the only one. Well, just if you want to finish reading this story, it's very powerful because there he says this and and some people were confused and and some accepted what he said and then some others denied him and and there was a big mess as to what what do we take away from the words of Jesus Christ saying that he is a fulfillment of that prophecy in the book of Isaiah. I challenge you to to read this because it is amazing. But when you look at the book of Isaiah, this isn't the only place This isn't the only time that Isaiah paints this amazing picture of who Jesus is, of his life, and of his purpose. There's one chapter in particular in the book of Isaiah that screams out probably more than any other chapter in Isaiah or in the entire Old Testament that screams out of this picture painted of Jesus Christ. I'd like for you to turn there to the book of Isaiah chapter 53. And we're going to read the entire chapter here. I'm going to read through it without any breaks. And I I just want you to kind of take this description in, this picture that's being painted of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 53. This portion of scripture actually starts in Isaiah chapter 52 verse 13 which is where we're going to start. I'd like for you to follow along with me. If you don't want to follow along and you just want to, you want to think about these words, you want to meditate on these words, and, and you just want to kind of close your eyes, I'll let you do that as long as you promise you'll open your eyes back up. All right? But, but, I, but I want you to really kind of take in what Isaiah is describing here. Isaiah chapter 52, starting with verse 13. There are three questions that I want you to ask as I read this. One, can I identify God the Father in this description? Two, can I identify Jesus Christ in this description? And three, 
can I identify myself in this description? Isaiah chapter 52, starting with verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut up their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Who? Has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Were you able to identify God the Father? Were you able to identify Jesus Christ? Were you able to identify yourself in this picture that was painted 
of the life of Christ and the purpose of Christ. When you think about the purpose of Christ, why Christ came to planet Earth, it's astounding. I mean, it is just amazing uh, to think that while we were still sinners, this God of the universe, the creator of everything that we see, that the God of love, the, the giver of love, the lover of all, the creator of the universe stepped down and became a man to take upon himself the penalty of sin, which we know is death. A penalty that, that wasn't his to take. It's a penalty that belonged to you and to me. We're the ones that deserve this death. We're the ones that have sinned. We're the ones that have turned away. We're the ones that have fallen from righteousness. And yet this God loves us so much that he says, you know what? I want to give everyone a second chance. I want to give everyone a a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance. And I have a way to do that with my sacrifice. If I offer myself up, I will, I will pay the penalty of sin, which is death. And I will give everyone an opportunity to live the life that I am giving up. As you read through this chapter, is it not amazing how many times you hear that he takes upon himself the iniquity of a saw, that, that through his sacrifice, many shall be justified. Did you catch that? That many will be called justified. L- listen, it doesn't say that all will be justified. It doesn't, does it? It says many will be justified. In other words, in other words, those who accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, those will be justified. That the sins of those who accept Jesus Christ, yeah, those sins will be justified. In other words, those sins will be accounted for. No longer do you need to pay for them. No, the sacrifice of Jesus pays for them. As you read through this chapter, is it just not amazing? Does it just not fill your heart with joy? I mean, in a way, it's sad because we, we look at this picture and we're like, no, God, why? Why does that have to happen? Why did it have to happen that way? But now as we look back after the fact that it did happen, are we not thankful? Are we not grateful that we're able to say, God Almighty, I thank you and I praise you for your great sacrifice. And we thank you for the hope that we have in you. The hope of eternity with you. The hope of not having to experience the death that you experienced on the cross. But the fact that we get to experience the life that he has for us. Is it not amazing? Does it not fill your heart with joy and to hope as you read those last few verses where it talks about him being victorious. About him conquering death about him saying, now because of my victory, you or everyone who accepts this sacrifice are heirs to the promises. I will share the spoils with you. Is this not exciting news? I mean, is this not awesome? You know, as we read through this and we think about my sin, we think about our sin, we think about how that sin separated us from God. And we might be tempted to say, okay, how can that gap be bridged? How can that, that, that huge void that's between God and mankind, how can that come together? And some of us 
hit our heads against the wall and, and we try so hard and, and we think that our works are going to get us there. We think that if only I can try a little bit harder, if only I can, I can do some more, then, then I can earn my right into heaven. I can earn the salvation that God wants for me. But this chapter reminds us that there is nothing that we can do, there is nothing that we can say besides accepting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf that will bridge that gap between God and mankind, between God and me. You know, there was an Ethiopian that was struggling with this chapter. He was, because he saw the sin in his life. He saw the sin that he carried. He understood this great gap between God and man, and he was struggling trying to figure out how will this bridge, how would this gap be bridged? How can we bring these things together? I'd like for you to turn to the book of Acts because we're going to read that story. It's a beautiful story. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 verse 26. A story of this Ethiopian who's traveling, who is wrestling with this very chapter in Scripture. Acts chapter 8 verse 26. It says here, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise. I love that word. Why do you think I love that word? Anyone? It's our motto. It's part of our vision and mission statement of our church. Arise. And here it says to Philip, arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now, I think that's very interesting that, that the, the author here throws that in. This is desert. In other words, this isn't a very favorable place to be or to go. In other words, there really is no reason to go there. Let me just remind you that there are times in life that God calls us to arise. There are times in life that God calls us to go. And most of the time, a lot of times, we find every excuse in the book why not to go. Well, God, they're not interested. Well, God, you know, I'm not sure that they're really interested in coming to church. Well, well, God, I'm just too busy. You know, God, I just have work and school and the family and kids, and I, I just don't have time to go, to arise and go. Can I just remind you all not to forsake the blessing that God has for you when he says, arise and go. And sometimes we're afraid to arise and go and knock on the door of our neighbor's house, or sometimes we're afraid to approach that, that person in church or at work and talk to them about Jesus Christ. But listen, don't forsake. Don't forsake the blessing that God has in store for you if you carry out with what he's calling you to do. And so here, Philip goes to the desert, a, a, a not a favorable place, a place that you really don't go except because God is calling you there. Verse 27, so he arose and went, and behold, an Ethiop, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch, a great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Very interesting. We're told a lot about this man in just a short little verse here. So he's, he's a eunuch. 
We know he's a servant, but he, of high authority. It, it, he controls the purse strings, the treasuries here of the queen. So we know that he's, he's well off, okay? Uh, you know why he was going to Jerusalem, it says to worship. So maybe he was someone who converted over to Judaism and now is going to Jerusalem to worship, right? And so we're, we're, we're in, in just a short verse here, we're told a lot about this Ethiopian. It says in verse 28, that he was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And so somehow, some way, this Ethiopian had acquired a scroll of the book of Isaiah. You know, I mean, that's not easy to come by. It's not like they had ABCs or family Christian bookstores. And it's not like he can just go to the library and check out, you know, the book of Isaiah. You know, so somehow, some way, he had connections or he had the financial resources to be able to acquire the scroll, the book of Isaiah. You know, maybe he had taken this, this scroll with him to Jerusalem to try and find someone to, to make sense of this chapter. Maybe he had purchased the book while at Jerusalem and now as he's writing back home, he's reading from the book of Isaiah and he's stumped. He's thinking to himself, what in the world does this mean? And so here in verse 29, it says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Now, can you imagine if God gave you that command today? You know, I need you to go to that car and knock on the window, and I need you to overtake that car. Someone might think you're a little crazy. And you might think they're going to think you're crazy. Are you going to miss out on the blessing if God is calling you to do so? To go to someone and talk to them about Jesus Christ. Uh, Maybe let's just take a step back here and just let's just imagine for just one second that that God had been has been working in this person's life for for months and and for weeks and and has been leading up to this moment in time where God caused that red light to delay you just a couple more minutes so that you can meet this person in the parking lot or at the grocery store or at work, wherever it may be, for such a time as this. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and calling you to arise and go and talk to someone about Jesus Christ, don't forsake the blessing. Follow through with it. Because it could very well be that God's been working on this person's heart for years. And now the moment is right for you to step in and to speak to them about the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. So it says here in verse 29, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to it. He took advantage of this opportunity and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah And said, do you understand what you are reading? So I don't know if he took a moment and he stopped right before, you know, barging into the chariot or what. I don't know if he overheard it. But somehow he overheard the Ethiopian reading from the book of Isaiah. And so then he says to him, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, no. No. I have no clue. I don't understand. 
I, I don't understand what's going on here. I mean, is this talking about the prophet who wrote it? Is it talking about someone else? I, I don't understand what is going on here. And so it says here in verse 31, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a lamb, sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Verse 34, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else, of another man? And so he's confused, right? He doesn't understand what is going on. He's not making sense of all of this. He undoubtedly, he's already read of himself in the transgression of sin. And, 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 and now he's reading about how this man, whoever this is, has come on behalf of him to sacrifice himself on his behalf. And he wants to know more. He wants to make sense of this. And so it says here in verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth. Now listen to this. And beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. One last lesson that we can learn from this. I hope you didn't miss it. But did you see how the Bible here says that Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture? In other words, Philip started where the man was. Philip man, this, Philip met this man where he was. He didn't take him somewhere else. He didn't try and explain another truth of Scripture. or He didn't go anywhere else. He said, okay, if this is where you're at, this is where we're going to start. And beginning with that Scripture, he began to open his eyes, his understanding to what Isaiah chapter 53 was all about. You know what the response was? Have you read this story before? Do you know what the response was? The response was that the Ethiopian was so excited about the news that he had just received that he says, what do I need to do? I want to be baptized. And let's go ahead and read it. It says here in verse 36, now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he was baptized right then and there on the spot as he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Because he realized that in Jesus Christ, we can bridge the gap between God and man. He realized that in Jesus Christ, the sins that I carry are met at the cross in the personhood of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ has taken upon himself my sins and as a result, it bridges the gap between God and man. Listen, I know that sometimes it's a little hard for us to understand this. You know, we've been hearing this, uh, most of us, for, for a long time now. And, and we think, oh, yeah, Jesus Christ died for my sins. Yeah, Jesus Christ bridged the gap. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. But, but I, I want to try and bring this to life 
so that you can walk out of here today understanding how awesome Jesus is and what exactly he did for us. So I need a volunteer. Is there a young person that would like to come up here today and help me? Uh, Look, there's some young people right here. Can you come up here and help me? I'm not going to ask you any hard questions. Don't worry, he wasn't expecting me to do this. So I know you're a little nervous right now, but you've been up here before. You've preached. You know what this is like. All right, so I'm going to need you to stand there for just a second and just in a couple seconds hold the end of this, okay? One of the most fascinating um, events in the Olympics to me is the long jump. The long jump is one of those events that doesn't get broken every Olympics as some events seem to do. You know, there are some events that, you know, it seems like every Olympics, there's a new world record. There's a new Olympic record. No, no, not true of the long jump. The long jump has intervals of 20 years plus. All right. Does anyone know what the current record is? Don't, don't scream it out. Don't scream it out. I'm going to tell you here in just a second. All right. So I want you to hold that. The current record for the long jump is, well, let's just stop right here. This is 10 feet, all right? That's pretty long, isn't it? Now, how many of you here today think that with a little bit of practice, you might be able to jump 10 feet? I want to see some hands. Oh, all the young people. Oh, you think so, right? All right, it's possible. 10 feet is a long ways, you know. I mean, I'm not sure that I could do this, Uh, maybe with a little bit of practice, I might be able to jump 10 feet, but this isn't the record. No, I'm going to need you to step back a little bit because I'm running out of room back here. And for those of you that are listening to me on the radio, I want to challenge you to, to pace this out at home so that you have a visual of exactly what we're talking about here at church. This is 15 feet. Now that's pretty long if you ask me. Can you imagine a man flying through the air 15 feet. Now, this is crazy. You know, I don't know how much room they have, maybe 50 yards, but you've seen it, right? Where, where they, they full bore down that, down that runway, and then they hit that tape, and they jump. This is 15 feet. But the record isn't 15 feet. I'm going to need you to step back a little bit more. Let's go to... Uh, Let's go to 20 feet. Guys, do you think that that is humanly possible? To jump 20 feet. I I really want you to take this in. I mean, you have a man that's running as fast as he can, and he is timing his, his stride perfect so that he hits that tape and jumps 20 feet. Anyone here think they can do this? Come on. Javier? No? Anyone? Do I have any takers? You know, I suspect that there are some of you guys here today that are saying, I'm going to go home. I'm going to measure this out, and I'm going to see how close I can get. This is 20 feet, but that's not the record. I want you to go back now to 24 feet and 8 inches. That, my friends, is the record of the woman's long jump. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. Galina Krist Yakova from the former um, Russian Soviet Union. She did this in 1988. The record has stood now for 24 years. 24 feet, 8 inches. All right, let's get to the guy's record here. Well, I ran out of tape. (laughs) So I'm going to need you to back up just a little bit. All right, hold right there. All right, I need you to stay right there, okay? And I'm going to mark this. Okay, let go. All right. All right, we need to add another four feet. Yeah, do you mind holding that? Thank you. We need to add another four feet, four and a half inches right here. So that's the world record, 29 feet, four and a half inches. You might remember, if you're old enough, who set this record, Mike Powell. In 1991, the epic battle between Mike Powell and Carl Lewis. Do you remember that? Where they were head to head. And Carl Lewis actually broke this record, but the wind was too strong in his back. And so his jump did not qualify. But then Mike Powell stood up next and he jumped this distance of 29 feet. Now, folks, I don't want to discourage any young person here today. And I know that most of us, you know, who are 30 plus, we realize that there's no way that we're ever going to be able to jump this distance. I mean, seriously, you can practice and you can train for the rest of your life. Steve, you're not jumping this. <laughs> but, but I want you to imagine Mike Powell running and launching himself from here. And being in the air. (laughs) And landing here. That is unbelievable. Thank you so much for your help. That's unbelievable. And I want to propose to you that the gap between God and us was unmeasurable. It was too great. It's too amazing. There there is no way, there is no amount of work, there is no amount of good deeds, there, there is absolutely nothing that would ever bridge that gap between you and God except the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now you know why when the Ethiopian heard that news, that there is someone, a suffering servant, as the book of Isaiah says, there is someone, the suffering servant that has come and he has paid the price for my sin. He has has paid the price. His sacrifice covers me. There is someone by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, a carpenter, 
who bridged the gap. This is why now you see him falling to his knees, bowing down in worship, saying, what can I do to please you, God? What can I do to surrender my life to you? What can I do to give my all to you? What, what can I do? And so there was water there, and he says, what's preventing me from being baptized? I'm getting baptized right now. I'm giving my life to God. I'm surrendering right now to him. You know, we've been talking about bowing down this whole series. And everyone, at some point, is going to bow down. And I'm going to tell you, the gap from standing to bowing is great. It's huge. But I'm telling you that that comes in surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. And I hope and pray that at some point today, in a quiet corner of your house or maybe on a walk somewhere, you decide for yourself, That it's time for me to surrender my life to Christ. It's time for me to bow down. It's time for me to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ because he and he alone has bridged this gap for us. And now he offers it to us freely for us to believe in him. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. We're a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. For more podcasts, click on Sermon Audio.